0: Good morning, it is so good to see you this morning. I thought to myself, I I told Beth actually last night, I said, it's Labor Day weekend, we live in Illinois, that's northern Illinois. If I were not involved in a church service and I had children and I had one more weekend to go, would I go to church? And then I thought, I wonder how many people are feeling like that, and so, question asked, answer received. But for those of us that are here, we are the hardcore people that love the Lord and who I'm not saying anything about the rest of the folks, but, but as far as us, it's good to see you. I look forward to Sundays every day because I get every week because I get to see you all uh, here on Sundays. And, uh, and today is no exception. So it's really good that you're here with us this morning. Uh, a couple of guests with us. It's good to have you guys with us here as well. And we just pray that the Lord would speak to you uh, as he has planned to speak to you. This is a sovereign appointment that we're all here together. This is our last Sunday for Beatitudes. We finish with the hardest one, in my opinion, the hardest one. So, here it is. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Ah, is that a heavy one on your shoulders already? Jesus giving a Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, one of the greatest sermons of all time, if not the greatest, the only long sermon. Recorded sermon that we have of Jesus Christ starts with Beatitudes, this is his kicker intro, and the finish of all the Beatitudes is, blessed are those who are persecuted. Key, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, key, on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so, in other words, they did the same thing. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the longest beatitude we have. Up to now has been blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are mourn. Blessed are those who are pure, pure in heart. We have all of these, these shorter Beatitudes. This is the longest one. And I thought to myself as I was studying through this, I thought to myself, why is that the case? Why is this the longest one? And I think I have the answer. The world is changing. Early November of last year, German chancellor... Angela Merkel declared Christianity is, quote, the most persecuted religion in the world. University of Notre Dame professor Dan Philpot began his talk in April 2017, that's April of this year, in an all-day symposium on the persecution of religion around the world at the National Press Club with these grim words, quote, the persecution of Christians is real, it's global in its scope, it's brutal in its nature, it is daily in its occurrence, and it's growing worse than ever. In more than 40 nations around the world today, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. In these nations, it is illegal to own a Bible, to share your faith in Christ, to change your faith, and to teach your children about Jesus Christ. 40 nations around the world. In the last eight months, you can face harassment, imprisonment, loss of home, assets, torture, beheadings, rape, even, being killed as a result of your faith. Here's in the last, just the last eight months, May 2017, ISIS kills 29 and injures 23 in Egypt who are on their way to prayer, mostly women and children, in a bus. They had them, each person exit the bus and as they exited the bus, they asked them if they could quote a key part of the Quran dedication liturgy that they had and if they couldn't, they had to say, are you a Christian or Muslim? If they said they're a Christian, they were shot in the head. April 2017, Islamic extremists blow up two churches and kill 45 Christians in Egypt. 2016, Syria, suicide bomber blows up a church, kills more than 70 Christians and on 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 and on. And on and on and on it goes. None of those are duplicates, by the way. And those are just the few that I could pull up. Uh, Let me walk, walk you backwards. This is just last year, 2016. December 31st, a Muslim mob burns down a Christian neighborhood. December 29th, Austria. An Austrian woman is stabbed to death for reading the Bible at a refugee center. December 23rd, Iraq. Seven Christians lose their lives to Islamic fundamentalist shooting spree. December 19th, Germany. Eleven patrons are slaughtered where a hijacked truck blows into a crowd at a Christmas market where Christians were gathered outside a church. December 11th, in Egypt, a brutal religion of peace suicide bomb blasts, goes off during a Coptic church Christian service, claiming two dozen innocent lives, including six children. December 4th, Nigeria. A Christian college student is beheaded by Islamic terrorists. December... Um, uh, November 11th, Mali, the Christian mayor of a small village, father of eight, is assassinated by Islamic extremists. Uh, October 6th, Kenya, Al-Shabaab gunmen break into a home, murder six residents in an attack targeting Christians. September 29th, Australia, a young woman is stabbed to death by her husband for converting to Christianity. Uh, September 26th, Nigeria, one villager is killed when Boko Haram invades a Christian village and burns down homes. December 26th, Nigeria, a Christian man is tied up and slaughtered in front of his wife and four children, and on and on and on and on it goes. Those are just ones I picked out. A secular institution in Germany indicated Christians are the targets of some 80% of all instances of religious persecution around the globe. 80% are Christian being persecuted. You don't hear that in the news, Yeah. Let me go on. In 2016, one Christian was killed every six minutes around the world for their, for their stand for Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And that statistic is going to grow more this year. Approximately this year, 215 million Christians around the globe experience high, very high, or extreme persecution. This is according to Open Doors World Watch List. For 14 years in a row, North Korea remains the most dangerous place to be a Christian. Killings of Christians, by the way, in in North Korea, you can be imprisoned to the point where you're never seen again for the rest of your life if you're you're found with even a Bible verse on a piece of paper in your pocket. Christians uh, are killed in Nigeria. Nigeria actually has grown the most last year, uh, growing in persecution against Christians by 62%. In India... India actually is at the top of the list. Hindu nationalists have spread anti-Christian sentiment and extreme violence against Christians, average 40 incidences per month. By the way, it's getting closer to home in Mexico, uh, 23 Christian leaders were killed and four Christian leaders were killed in Colombia, uh, specifically because they were teaching uh, the religion of Jesus Christ. Christians are now killed in more countries than ever before and are persecuted in more countries than any other religion on the planet. Did you know that? No. No. Uh, Unless you think that's far away from home, I know. In fact, I went to a house and sat with a family and prayed with them because the Islamic kill list came out for the state of Illinois and their name was on it. That means that wherever they go, whatever they do, Uh, they would be targeted by Islamic extremists and the Islamic extremists would be rewarded for persecuting or killing them. That's here in Illinois. How does it make you feel? Does it make you feel angry? Does it make you feel disappointed? Does it make you feel um, perturbed that the news doesn't tell you about all of this? Let me tell you the first and greatest thing I can tell you this morning, and this is first and foremost is where we start every single one of these, these Beatitudes, and that is this, Jesus knows where you are. Best thing I can tell you today, because the news may not report it, and by the way, just those incidences that I told you about, that is not nearly the amount of incidences that actually occurred. Over this past year, there are hundreds and thousands of other incidences that may not include killings, but include persecution against Christians. Uh, you can go to different websites, go to Open Door websites, uh, go to Voice of the Martyr website. There's different websites that you can go to, good quality websites that are constantly keeping track of this persecution that's going on around the world. You can find out about it, but you've got to dig for it. Because the one thing in America that, that the news media does not want to communicate to us is that if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. But the reality of this is you will be, you always have been. Christians have always been targeted. And the best thing I can tell you today is that this, Jesus knows where you are. He empathizes with all of us. He knows ultimately this will be the spot you might finish if you put the Beatitudes in the action, which means if you decide you're gonna follow him, if you decide that you're gonna bring the kingdom of God to this world and shine it through your life and around your your possessions and in in your community, you will likely be persecuted. You may not definitely be martyred, In fact, you may not be beaten and you may not even be verbally abused, but the point is, don't be surprised if it happens. Because this is likely the end end game. As the world darkens, you can be sure the light will attempt to be snuffed out. Now, let me do a quick caveat before we go any any further, all right? This is not persecution for being a jerk. (laughs) You don't get to just go out there and just say, I love Jesus and I'll take persecution and and, and all you people are going to hell. And we're not talking about that at all. We're we're not talking about being uh, being persecuted because you're you're not living your life smartly. This is called being persecuted because uh, because you are living out righteousness, righteous purposes in your life. You are attempting to bring kingdom principles to light in your own life. And because of that, you will suffer persecution to some extent. This is persecution for taking steps in your life to make your life look more like Jesus Christ. This is persecution for living kingdom principles in a fallen world. Persecution for standing out for Jesus and being a light in the darkness. By the way, if you're interested at all in this message, you're thinking to yourself, I could could follow that a little further. I'd walk down this path a little further next Sunday is when we get into the meat of the sermon and Jesus picks up right here by talking about being salt and light in a dark world. We're gonna talk about that, but not today. Jesus is speaking to this crowd, finishing up his beautiful introduction with all of the Beatitudes. He finishes up with the longest one and it deals with persecution because he's speaking to a crowd who understands what it means to be persecuted. These Jewish people had always been persecuted. They just lived under some major persecution in their lives. And you you, you know the Holocaust, that just happened last century, but I wanna tell you Jews have been persecuted all throughout human history. And this is not something new for these Jewish people. They they had been persecuted. They had had actually led a rebellion. They They had succeeded in the rebellion. Then Rome comes down on them. And now they they are occupied by this foreign entity. They don't like Rome. Rome's pagan as long as the day is long. And they're trying to live for Jesus Christ. They're trying to stand out, not for Jesus. They're trying to stand out for Yahweh among a people that are are raunchy, that that are hedonists. They didn't want to blend into the world around them. Rome had had stood for nothing that Yahweh stood for, and so they didn't want to identify with anything that had to do with Rome. In fact, they wouldn't even carry coins with the inscription of Caesar on those coins. Did you know that? They would only carry around coins that were uh, um, indigenous to Israel. And those had like little flowers and plants and stuff on them. But if it had an inscription of Caesar, they wouldn't carry those coins. And when you read about them going to the temple to exchange money, that's what they were doing. They had to exchange their Jewish good-for-nothing money for what Rome would take. And so Jewish people would exchange their money and they would steal from them, they would charge them too much, and then they would have to carry these coins that they would not even be caught dead with so that they could pay the tax that they needed to pay so Rome could be satisfied. They hated it. They knew what persecution was about. When Christianity took root, the Romans... They were scared of these people. They were scared that they were going to lose their power. When the Pharisees found out that Jesus was leading all these people astray to follow him, the Pharisees were scared that they would lose their power. So what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. When Rome found out that the Jewish people, these converts to Christianity, these Jewish converts as well as a bunch of Gentiles were now giving their lives to Jesus Christ, it was only a matter of time before they would come down on the Christians, and they did in the first century in a big way. And they did so that they could maintain their power. Every one of the disciples knew persecution. Every one of them went to martyrdom for their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Andrew, Peter's brother, was challenged to deny his faith by the proconsul for Rome in Patras. He would not, so he was tied to a cross rather than nailed to the cross because he could last longer and die longer. And while he died for the next two days of exposure, starvation, exposure, basically, everybody that walked by that looked at him in pity, he preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. James was arrested and sentenced to be beheaded with the sword by Herod Agrippa. James witnessed to his accuser, the guard that was with him. The guard repented, accepted Christ as his savior, and the two of them were beheaded on the same day. Philip was crucified, Thomas took the gospel to India, and he was finally run through with a spear by the authorities there. James was beaten to death with clubs at the age of 94. After watching Rome kill his wife and his children in front of him, after Rome had done that, Peter said that he wasn't worthy to be crucified on the cross and not the same way that Jesus was. So it is said that Peter, after he watched Rome kill his children, and his wife in front of him was crucified upside down. And on and on and on and on it goes. This is the world that Jesus is speaking to that birthed Saul. You remember Saul? Saul reveled at the idea of putting down the church and persecuting Christians. And Saul held the, even when he was young, too young to participate in the death of these people, he stood there and held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. And when Jesus introduces himself to Saul, not Paul yet, not the apostle Paul yet, but Saul, do you remember what Jesus said to him? Here's what he said to him in Acts nine and verse four. And falling to the ground, Jesus appears, this is after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he appears to Paul to call him, well, he's Saul at the time, he appears to Saul to call him to become a believer. And Saul falls off his horse. Remember all this? And the, the people around him can't see, but, but he's scared to death because he has a vision of Jesus in front of him. And this is what Jesus says. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting church? Would you say that last word for me? Why are you persecuting me? me? Saul had never seen Jesus. How was Saul persecuting Jesus? Did you ever think of that? Yet Jesus introduces himself to Saul and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is because of this. Jesus empathizes with the persecution of his people in this world. And when you're being persecuted, he's being persecuted. In fact, he says it again in Acts 9 and verse 5, the next verse. And he said, who are you, Lord? Saul says to him, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And yet Saul didn't persecute Jesus. He persecuted Jesus' children. And Jesus saw that as an offense against himself. Isn't that amazing? You're persecuting me. Why? Because you're persecuting my family. When the world persecutes followers of Jesus or persecuting him directly. Any persecution we go through as a church is because we look a lot like Jesus. Let me say that one more time, all right? It's not because we're morons. It's not because we're looking to make a statement and tell everybody they're going to hell so we can get them mad at us, they can persecute us and we can say, I'm so blessed I'm persecuted. It doesn't work that way. Here's how it works. When you live out kingdom principles in your life, you live out every one of these beatitudes in your life. When you're pure in heart, when you're meek, when you're gentle in spirit, when you're broken in your spirit, when all of those things from the from beatitudes come to life in you and in your home, you are gonna be persecuted because the world in which we live doesn't get it, they don't understand it, they're scared of it, and they'll fight against it. But Jesus understands. And when we as a church go through persecution, All that means is maybe we're looking a lot like Jesus. And that's the goal. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, because the outcome of believing in Jesus Christ is that we get to look a lot more like him. And the more we look like him, the more threatening that becomes to a world that does not look like him. Here's the payoff. You get to be a part of the kingdom that Jesus is revealing now. You get to be a part of the kingdom that Jesus is, is building now. You get to be a part of what God is doing in this world now. You get to be a, a redemptive hand, arm, heart, eyes. You're, you get to be that extension of Jesus in a world that's dying and going to hell. That's why we built the church. That's why we established Village Church East is because we wanna be an extension in a community that desperately needs to know that there's a God who loves them. And the only way it's gonna happen is if everyone in here looks more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And how does that look? You put kingdom principles to work in your life. And then when we're persecuted, our whole attitude changes. In Acts 5, they were persecuted for living out kingdom principles, these apostles. It doesn't even name who these guys are. But here's what it says happened to them in Acts 5 and verse 40. When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. We've had it with this Jesus stuff. Stop talking about Jesus. And then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, and what were they doing, church? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What name is that? Jesus. For the name of Jesus. They walked away from their beating and they said, These guys said that we're so much like Jesus, they want us to stop being like Jesus to the point where they beat us to make us stop being like Jesus? Hey, that is a feather in our cap. <laughs> That is a blessing. That, that, is, that is what it means to be blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because you're living out kingdom principles in a world that, is, that has got less and less light. That brings us to the next point. Jesus knows what we're in for. There's more persecution to come. I I find this very interesting because as Jesus is talking and and wrapping up the introduction, blessed are those who persecuted, he says, listen, you're in for more bad stuff. Uh, This message that he delivered might have been around 30, I'm not sure, but in 70 AD, that's, what is that, 40 years later, less than 40 years later, one of the most devastating things would would happen to these Jewish people. Rome would finally have it up to here, and they would come in and they would decimate Jerusalem. In fact, this is the prophecy where Jesus said, you look at this temple, and they looked at Herod's temple, and it was gorgeous, and Rome tried to pacify the Jews by building them incredible temple they didn't understand that they couldn't, the Jewish people just would not worship their pagan gods, but they tried to pacify them. They built this beautiful temple, the Herod's temple, and Jesus looks at it, and he says to his followers, he said, look at this temple right here. I'm telling you, one stone is going to last on the other. There's going to be a decimation that you've never seen. You think you've seen bad stuff so far, and some of them had. Maccabean revolution had just happened. He said, you've seen, you've you've heard stories of bad things. There's gonna be something bad coming in your lifetime. You have no idea what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be so bad that the beauty of this temple is gonna be absolutely destroyed and not one stone is gonna be left standing on the other. And the people that were listening were going, no way that's gonna happen. Look how magnificent it is. Look how beautiful it is. Like the towers in New York coming down. Who would ever imagine on September the 10th that that would happen? Who would ever imagine on September the 10th that that would happen the next day? Yeah, you're right. The 11th changed our lives. But if you had told anybody on the 10th, they would have said, get out of here. There's, there's no way something like that's gonna happen. But then the next day on the 11th, these guys, they looked at the temple and they said, they looked at the beauty of Jerusalem. and They said, no, it'll never happen. Less than 40 years later, decimation like never before. People crucified, sold into slavery. This is why, by the way, when Jesus came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he cried. Do you remember that story? He walks down, he gets ready to come into the gates of Jerusalem and he cries, says that he wept. One of two instances we have in scripture where Jesus wept. And he said, how I would have gathered you together like a hen gathers her chicks together under under her wings, but you would not have it. Following Jesus means a natural flow of the kingdom living will produce persecution. Persecution takes various different forms. It doesn't just mean that you'll lose your life. There's a lot of persecution, a lot of different styles, different types of persecution that we go through and our brothers and sisters go through around the world. Jesus said in John 15, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're gonna also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will also keep yours, but in all these things, they will do to you, all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus is saying there's nothing unusual about being persecuted. So if you've ever been persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ, take heart. There's nothing unusual about it. It's always happened and it always will happen. You may not suffer the loss of your life, but you could lose spouse, children, mothers, fathers. You could be disowned in your family, and that hurts sometimes more than death. Sometimes it means that your views are going to be rejected. Sometimes it means you'll lose friends. Sometimes you won't be invited to parties. Sometimes it means losing jobs and losing income. Sometimes it even means losing property, and sometimes it means losing your life. Persecution takes various different forms. And Jesus is saying this last one, which is why it's so long, listen, if you're gonna be persecuted for righteousness sake, don't be surprised because they persecuted me and the servant is not greater than his master. You will likely be persecuted as well. Following Jesus may cause you to lose and be reviled by friends, family, religious people, and even more your enemies. Because that is the outcome of kingdom principle living in a fallen world. The big question I have at this point is probably the one that's in your mind too. Why? Why is it, if we're supposed to look more and more like Jesus, which means necessarily we're gonna love people more and more, right? Isn't that what looking like Jesus, right? Jesus said that, right? If, 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 you, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And if you love me, you're going to love others. This is how people will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So my big question is, why? Why is it that I can, have, I can be any other religion and show love and people will accept that and they'll take it, but if I'm a Christian and I show love as a Christian, that gets persecuted. Why is that the case? Am I off my rocker? Do you feel like that too? Why does the world react with persecution when they see the kingdom revealed in our lives? I mean, I've got four daughters. I would love for them to marry a man that has kingdom principles at work in his life on a regular basis and loves Jesus. That would be my best day. Here's the sad truth of it. Living out kingdom principles in a fallen world makes the world uncomfortable. In some cases, very uncomfortable. Every time somebody saw God in Scripture, they were always confronted with their own sin. Every time. Read it. Every time one of the disciples saw Jesus and he kind of did a miracle or tore away that, that shroud of humanity so that they saw his deity in a big, big way, their reaction was always the same. Get away from me. Get away from me. I'm, a, I'm unclean. I, I Don't come near me. I, I, I'm a sinful person. Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6. High and lifted up and the seraphims are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what's his first reaction? Woe is me for I'm a man is undone. I have, I have unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Over and over in scripture, read it. Anytime Time. People come face to face with God, they always see themselves, and that is very unnerving. People don't like to see themselves as they truly are. The world is happiest when it ignores its own problem of sin. C.S. Lewis took this thought and he said, Do You want to know what would be worse than spending an eternity in hell as a, as a rebel against God? Do you know, what would be worse than that is to take that rebel out of hell and bring him closer to the light of Jesus Christ. Because that would be the worst punishment that person would ever go through. As they get closer to the light, they realize how wrong they are. Everyone must deal with their problem of sin in their own way. You can deal with it one of three ways. You can ignore it. Find others like you so you don't have to pay attention to it find others that kind of have the same foibles that you do so you don't look so, so unique. You can ignore the problem of sin and gather a bunch of people around you that ignore their sin too. And, and then you don't have to face it. You don't have to talk about it. In fact, you can make laws. And that takes us to the second step. You can embrace it. If you got sin in your life and you don't wanna, don't wanna deal with it, embrace it. Make laws to protect it. Build society to say, this is normal and that's not normal. Twist it completely so that righteousness is looked at as unrighteousness and unrighteousness is looked at as normal. You can do it that way. That's kind of the world that we live in. Or third, you can confess it. That is the hardest one. Because if you confess it, you got to admit you got a problem. And the hardest thing for us as humans is to release the things that we love so much and have a hard time admitting we have an issue concerning. Can I just tell you something? Jesus came, his whole purpose to come was to release you from your sin and your guilt. The whole purpose Jesus entered into this world was so that. He could come and he could lift that burden of sin off of your shoulders and show you freedom in Christ. But to get there, to, to, to accept it, you gotta admit that you've got an issue. You gotta admit you, you you've got a problem with sin. And nobody likes to have their flaws pointed out. This has never changed, by the way, since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden and Jesus showed up to walk with them in the garden, what's the first thing that they did when when Jesus showed up in the garden? Adam and Eve, let's go for our daily walk. Where are you guys? What did they do? They hid. Why did they hide? They never hid before. It was always like, oh, is it time? Is Jesus coming? Is it time? Oh man, I can't wait for him. to. Is it time? I can't wait to, to spend time with him. Always, every day it's the same thing. But this day... After they sinned, the first day, they didn't hide from God first. Who did they hide from first? They hid from each other first. They had never questioned being together. They had never questioned their love, their devotion, their transparency. They had never questioned their loyalty to one another ever. And then sin enters, and what's the first thing they do? They put on fig leaves, they hide from each other, and then when Jesus shows up, they hide from him. See, that's what sin does. And and the weird thing about it is we embrace sin and we run from God. This has always been the case. It's what our sin nature does. Jesus tried to explain it in John 3 verse 19 and he said, this is the judgment, light has come into the world. He's speaking about himself here. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because why, church? That's hard to swallow, isn't it? You want to know why people love their sin more than they love Jesus? Because their works are evil, and they don't want to admit their works are evil. They want to admit that they want to say that that's normal. That's every day. That's, that's nothing unique. It's just kind of human nature. That's who we are. Jesus says, No, 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 no. That's sin. They love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You know what our greatest problem with sin is? We like it too much. That's our greatest problem. And I'm I'm talking about ours being ours. This this pronoun is all inclusive for everybody in this room and everybody listening. Our problem with sin is simply this. We like it too much. We like to disobey, we like to rebel, we like to get angry, we like to hold a grudge. It's the dumbest thing I know in the world, but if we didn't like it, we wouldn't do it. But we do it, because we like it. And we wanna be proven right. Jesus goes on to say in John 17, 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. For Christians who've given their lives to Jesus Christ, our first reaction when sin comes into our lives is to get rid of it. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit constantly breathes into our minds and our hearts, this is right and this is wrong. Get rid of what's wrong and be right with God. That is not the normal everyday function of the world around us. In fact, the key response the normal response for somebody who is faced with guilt of their own sin is to blame somebody else or say that everybody else is a hypocrite and you're just like everybody else. Excuses we can do easily. Asking for forgiveness, that's a lot harder. The world around us will make up stuff about us because they can't, they, they can't face the fact that maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus is making himself known through our actions. So they make stuff up about us. In fact, Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, the key word, falsely, on my account. Do you know what the word revile means? It means to speak disparagingly in a manner that's not justified, <laughs> That means they lie. People will look at you and they'll say, "Ah, yeah, yeah." they'll make up stuff about you because they don't wanna face the fact that you belong to Jesus Christ. And so they utter all kinds of things, even falsely against you. Can I ask you this question? How do you feel when other people make up stuff about you? How do you feel when, when other people make up false stuff about you and spread it around? Does it debilitate you? Does it hurt you? Does it create bitterness in you? This is why, by the way, people leave churches. People leave churches because somebody said something against them and, or, and, and they never got it right and they never made it right with the other person. So they leave the church and a year goes by and three years go by and 10 years go by and they never come back. By the way, this is why pastors drive trucks. Because, pa- <laughs> sorry. <laughs> It's true, because pastors have had it up to here about accusations and and false accusations. And and if, if Satan can't get to us through the world around us, he'll get to us through each other. It's the quickest way he can bring the downfall of a church. And the quickest way to get to you is going from the top down. Not saying that I'm at the top, that's not the point. But if he can get me, he can get you guys very discouraged. If he can get your leader, he can get you very discouraged. If he can get your husband, he can get you. If he can get your children, he can get you. So you should not be surprised when people who are not following Jesus speak disparagingly about you when you demonstrate faith. In other words, whether they're Christians, they claim to be Christians, or they're not Christians, it doesn't matter. When somebody speaks disparagingly against you and you know it's false, Don't let it get you down. I know that's easier said than done. Live kingdom principles. Put to death sin as it tries to grow by inserting kingdom principles in your relationship with people in the church and outside of the church. In fact, Jesus says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. Don't you love that? In fact, the persecution may not stop, but you'll be blessed. This is typically the MO of the world. It's what they did with the prophets. You remember that verse? And they'll do it to you too. The payoff is you get to see glimpses of light at the kingdom every day, regardless of the pain or the darkness around you. There's more blessings than you know, and here's the, here it is, God is keeping track. Number three, I want you to just give you one, one, one bit of encouragement, Jesus gives hope. He doesn't leave us with, you're gonna get persecuted, so suck it up, buttercup, do the best you can. Instead, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Don't you love that? Your reward is great in heaven, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, our reward is in heaven. How does that make you feel? It's it's a little different, isn't it? It's like, okay, I wanna like that because I wanna be like the spiritual person around you, but I'd really like some rewards here. I'd really like for the persecution to stop. I'd like for somebody to stop saying false, bad things about me because they don't like me living for Jesus Christ. I'd like for that to all kind of stop here. Here it is, it won't. And even if they're taken out of the picture, somebody else will take their place. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Your reward is in heaven and God is keeping track. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I want heaven really, really badly. Like, at some point in my life, I think to myself, okay, heaven can happen now. Sometimes more than others. We may be abused for our faith here. We may be reviled and spoken badly of and even lied about, but God is keeping track for us. And in the process, here it is, we need to honor those who are in authority over us, and we need to keep on living principles, kingdom principles, no matter what happens to us. Here's a verse in 1 Peter. Notice who wrote this, by the way.